Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Hello, and welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I'm your guest host, Lisa Finkel. We're ready for another episode of Ask Stacy. Stacy, how is it? Is it spring up there in Vermont yet? Uh, well, we just got over 30 inches of snow, um, but it is spring. We are, uh, we're getting there. I think we, we had um, spring skiing. We try and ski up until early May, if you can believe it here. The Vermonters are so, I don't know, ski crazy that even if there's like a little, little patch of white snow, they try and go up and ski on it. So it is spring, little touches of spring here and there, but we do still have a bit of snow. We do here as well. So uh, as spring approaches, I know that you're focused uh, on kittens uh, because spring and summer mean kitten season. And really, who doesn't love talking about kittens, watching kitten videos and all the <laughs> foster, foster kitten cams? And enjoying, you know, their general adorableness. But however adorable they are, kittens are also one of the biggest challenges for community cat caretakers and rescues and shelters. And they tax our resources. They're very vulnerable. So I thought we'd have a discussion today around different topics relating to kittens and managing uh, the challenge of kittens. For the month of April, we're going to have quite a few podcasts that are focusing on kittens as a topic. Um, many of us spend quite a bit of our time during the summers dealing with kittens coming into our rescues and our shelters. So pepper away with questions. One thing we know that is if you have kittens, you need foster families. There's simply uh, no way even the largest organization can manage all of the kittens uh, coming in in their facility and certainly if you don't have a facility. So fosters uh, are important. How do you set up a sustainable foster home program and what do you need to teach foster families to do? Setting up a sustainable foster home program, many organizations utilize their either their adoption volunteers or their adoption staff to manage a foster care program. And I think we need to almost think of our foster care program in a separate mindset from our adoption program. It's really, it's a pre-program to your adoption program. So therefore you need to think about your volunteers in a separate way. So if you have people very involved in, in adoptions, they're not going to have time to devote to adoptions along with the foster care. So you need to recruit volunteers or even select designated volunteers that really are engaged in foster care and let them focus on foster care. You definitely need a foster care coordinator. Ideally, it would be great to have a co-chair system where you had one person who was really good with the medical side of things, and then another person who was good in administrative side, keeping track of medical records, keeping track of foster homes, helping just even tracking emails so that there's some standard communications amongst people. In order to create the sustainable foster home program, you need to have an architecture. So, you know, at the top would be a co-chair system, and then you would work down from there with your foster homes. I would even create a system where you had veteran foster homes buddy up with some of the newer foster homes to help make sure that the newer foster homes don't feel sort of lost and that they always have someone to turn to for questions and, and that kind of thing. And that goes down into sort of what you need to teach foster families to do. So 
you know, as you recruit foster families, it would be great to show them a video or to have a veteran foster home, chat with a potential new foster home to say, you need to have a designated room for your foster cats and kittens. What's it like when they're ready to be adopted? How does it feel having them leave the house? Or are you going to be a potential foster failure? Which many of us are. I think everybody has been a foster failure at one point in time. But if you are planning on being a foster home on a regular basis, you do have to be aware that you're going to be letting a lot of kittens go and get adopted into other loving, loving homes. And for some people, that's really, really tough to do. So just to be able to sort of walk through that process, what happens on the medical side, what they need. If your organization does have a video set up about that information, that would be great. There are certainly other videos that are available sort of on the internet that talks about foster care and and what the actual process involves. Even the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society, I think, has a nice video about how you can foster kittens at your home. And don't be afraid. I mean, anybody who's thinking about fostering, try it. Try it once. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But I think people sometimes are a bit afraid of doing it. And um, I think it's worthwhile for everybody just to try it at least once. And you might like it. I love the... um the part about, you know, when you are, they are ready to be adopted. Hannah Shaw, the kitten lady says that goodbye is the goal. And as long as you remember that, um, hopefully you don't end up being such a ongoing foster failure. Right. Right. And I was lucky enough to have Hannah Shaw on our show previously and her show numbers are episode 85 and 86. You can just go to the communitycatspodcast.com and go into the search bar and either search Hannah Shaw or episode 85 and 86, and her episodes will pop right up. So if you didn't catch a listen to her show, feel free to do so because she is a real uh, kitten lady dynamo. But fostering can take its toll. And so how do you advise foster failures to deal with compassion fatigue or other issues like kitten health issues? We know that despite your best efforts, sometimes some kittens don't make it. It can be an incredible emotional roller coaster, especially those families, foster families that take on bottle feeding kittens or kittens that are just so filled with different kinds of parasites. They just have such a huge battle against them that, you know, they oftentimes won't make it. And there's what's called failure to thrive. That's tough with regards to kittens. And I would say that um, your volunteer coordinators, your foster home coordinators need to be really aware and very communicative to all the foster homes about what compassion fatigue is and what are the signs. Because oftentimes when we're in the middle of all this doing and nursing and taking care, we don't see these things happening. And I would especially say after a traumatic event happens in a foster home where a kitten doesn't make it, you know, I really think that those foster home coordinators need to be able to sit down with the foster home and really be able to evaluate and see how they're doing. Because oftentimes people are like, okay, just give me the next, let me just keep going. And it's like, no, you need to stop and you need to process this. So, you know, it's a family effort. This is all about family. We are becoming a family of like-minded individuals in order to help our community kittens. Jennifer Blau has a Compassion Fatigue podcast and she was actually a guest on our show. She was number episode number 78. And she was talking about compassion fatigue and the signs to be on the lookout for. Certainly, you want to definitely be able to let people process 
And, you know, if they are sacrificing sort of day-to-day activities, you need to just say, hey, as a friend, I think that we need to take a step back here. Um, And if they, you know, keep on trying to overwhelm themselves, that's a sign where they need need to also take a step back and just make sure that they do a little bit of self-care. That's the reason that it's just so important to recruit as many foster families as possible. Right. And with that comes trust. And we have to trust that we're all there for the best interests of the cats and that we are not the only one who can do everything. And a lot of times I think we think that, you know, well, I have control if all the cats are in my house or all the kittens are in my care, I have the control. But we need to spread this out. We need to have more foster families. Foster families, the more kittens we have in foster homes, the more ambassadors we have to find new homes for those kittens because we all have a different sphere of uh, friends. And so um, we need our reach to be as wide as possible, too, in order to be able to adopt out these kittens. So a couple of shows ago, you had a show dealing with an interesting topic, kitten nurseries. If folks haven't listened to that show, uh, what is a kitten nursery and what function can it play? That was episode 165. So it was just on a little bit earlier. And it was with the National Kitten Coalition. And the whole term kitten nurseries, I mean, in my mind, you know, I have this vision of really, really little itty bitty kittens, but it turns out it's pretty much for kittens ages um, eight weeks and younger. And it's almost like a, um, a triage room. So it's the place where the foster homes will come and pick up their kittens. It's where the kittens are getting their first vaccines. They're getting their first exams. They're getting whatever treatments that they need to get and whatever medicine that needs to get sent home with them to the foster care provider will come out of that nursery. It's a designated, separate, safe zone away from what would be your standard intake room that many shelters have for the adult cats, as well as in some situations, the kittens. So it's it's an interesting concept. Statistically speaking, the kittens under eight weeks of age have been one of the higher populations that have been euthanized within the sheltering systems over the years. And so with this concept of really working to try and save as many kittens as possible, that's going to help the save rates in many shelters across the country. Support Boston's Gifford Cat Shelter Spring Soiree and Silent Auction on April 22nd from 6 to 9 p.m. at the Needham Town Hall. There will be fun food and festivities. For more information, go to GiffordSpringSoiree.org or go to GiffordCatsShelter.org. The Community Cats podcast will soon be a year old with over 200 episodes profiling amazing people who are all making a difference in the lives of community cats. If you would like to support the show but not be a sponsor, feel free to contribute to our efforts by going to www.communitycatspodcast.com and follow the donate link. Help us to continue to provide excellent programming. Let's talk about a different set of kittens, not those kittens that are so easily adoptable once they've been fostered, but the tiny tigers, as we call them, those feral kittens uh, in need of socialization. Talk about some of the successful strategies for handling these little guys. I love the tiny tigers. They are the best. 
We've had actually a couple of great shows with Angela Rockwell, and she has the Tiny Tigers program. It's episode number 54. And they actually have, her shelter has a special room designated for Tiny Tigers, and they just work on socializing there. When they put out an appeal looking for volunteers to help with socializing Tiny Tigers, they had 40 people sign up for the first training class. So if you ask, they may come, that's for sure. So that's been very successful. And the tips and the tricks for for handling these guys, there was a great program. Maddie's just uh, released what they call flash classes. Susan Krebsbach um, did a great flash class on unsocialized kittens. And she really talked about a lot of tricks about how to use food, um, how to approach kittens, how to work with them to get them to trust you, to uh, become more human cat bonded rather than, you know, cat to cat bonded, different kind of approach techniques, techniques that are very gentle, a lot of food. There's a lot of food involved and gentle petting behind the ears. And um, so there's some, some great tricks there. I think that Jackson Galaxy has some great tips and they've been doing a program The Jackson Galaxy Foundation has been doing a program um, called Cat Positive in shelters and help creating safe environments for cats as well as for kittens. Using food as a way of changing behavior uh, is very successful. Baby food seems to be quite popular. Baby food without onions in it seems to be very popular. Uh, hard, hard to believe, but I, for a cat, it's probably like going out for the best gourmet dinner of their lives. There's really nothing cuter than when you approach one of these little kittens and he looks at you and then you get that little tiny hiss. It, 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 it never fails to crack me up. Yeah. Especially the ones that have like the little round faces, you know, they have these little faces and with like, I don't know, it does. It just gets, it gets you so much. So I first heard the term kitten-free zone from you, Stacy, when I joined the board of the MRFRS. And, and I didn't know there could be such a thing. And I didn't think that such a thing could possibly be a good thing. What? No kittens? Uh, so define what you mean by a kitten-free zone and what it takes for organizations to get there. So it's an objective that we had very early on at the MRFRS in terms of creating an environment where... We actually, our local kittens weren't going to be able to supply our local market, the adopters, potential adopters, with the amount of kittens that they wanted. And so in the early days, in order to be able to help, we would go to other parts of the state and get kittens and bring them in so that then we could supply that market. But it was a way for us to be really sure that our spay-neuter efforts were making a difference because by not having enough kittens was a sign that we were definitely getting the spay-neuter message out there and we were getting our feral cat colonies sterilized to the point that you know we did not have kittens being born out on the waterfront or you know in the neighborhoods getting hit by cars and, and that kind of thing. And we definitely have operated as a kitten-free zone, I would say, since the middle of the 90s. When you do embark on a spay-neuter initiative, a high-volume targeted spay-neuter initiative, the first thing you're going to see drop in your statistics are your kittens. So if you are in a community where you still have a high kitten count and you are feeling overwhelmed with kittens, 
just from your own target area, you really need to kick up the spay neuter efforts in your community. You need to build up that capacity that should be a priority of the organization so that then those kitten numbers will drop. Within a year or two, you'll then see your adult cat numbers also drop down substantially. But the first wave of success is within that kitten population. It's a good question to ask, so why is this good? Why is this good? Well, it's good because it it does reduce your population in your facility or it increases your save rate, however you want to look at at the, the, the sort of cat overpopulation glass. So it's very good. But now there are some questions about, well, okay, so when you get to that very low, low, low level, how are people resourcing their kittens? And are they getting their kittens from, you know, good sources if they cannot get them from the shelter? So that is a question that we're faced with in New England, but the rest of the country is in many areas not necessarily faced with that question. That's very true. I know that, you know, people have on Craigslist have been charging more than shelters for kittens in some cases up here, which is overwhelming. Yeah, we have some shelters that are charging over $300 a kitten in Massachusetts. And many of their kittens that they are adopting out are coming in from out of state. And I think that that transport, the movement of kittens around is going to continue. But I also think that every community needs to have a high volume spay neuter, very aggressive spay neuter going on. And that movement of animals around the country is going to not necessarily be needed as aggressively five or 10 years down the line. Last question. Uh, Any tips about fundraising during kitten season? Fundraising during kitten season is fun. I would actually say fundraising before kitten season is really fun. I've been involved in many kitten showers where a shelter will open up their doors and they even will put like a van in front of the building and do a fill the van with kitten supplies. And we've had the foster homes and, and volunteers be handed out uh, baby bottles and they collect change in the baby bottles for to help pay for things like KMR, the an advantage and the flea treatment and you know the, all the various different supplies that you need for a good um, foster care program. You will be inundated with supplies for a kitten shower. If you do a kitten shower, you will have so much litter and food and just make sure you're very clear and communicating what kinds of food you're looking for because we have gotten tons of baby food but it has onion in it and we obviously pass that on to the human you know food pantry but you want to make sure that you're communicating really your wish list really well and i would say definitely use a lot of pictures of of kittens from the previous year or the few that you've had during the winter use pictures and videos 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 and you can do an online with a great video of kittens and saying it's a kitten shower you can do a you know a, a you caring page or a gofundme page or a first giving page a crowdsourced funding page you could probably drive some great money if you had a good kitten video that would probably go viral pretty quickly as an online kitten shower one more thing to ask your 
foster families to do for you. Take as much video of those kittens as they can because it's going to be really useful going forward. Definitely. And one other thing is if you do have a donation can program, you can theme your donation cans with kitten pictures on those donation cans. And you can say, you know, the funds from the donation cans for this month are going to all go to the kitten program. So you can also utilize your current fundraising efforts to specially raise funds for those kittens. Uh, I can't think of anything I'd rather do than than throw a kitten shower. (laughs) I mean, just, you see, I keep thinking of raining kittens, but we're not quite talking about that. Um, Just to close up, Stacey, any announcements you want to make? Yeah, so I just wanted to thank all the folks that have volunteered for the Ambassadors Program. We have about 15 folks that have signed up to become an ambassador. And if you're interested in being a Community Cats podcast ambassador, please don't be shy. Feel free to email me at stacy at communitycatspodcast.com. Basically, what it means is you'll get a tip sheet on how to help promote the show in your community, as well as a, a box full of Community Cats podcast swag that you can share with other organizations or other people within your organization to help spread the word about the Community Cats podcast. So thank you uh, so much to the folks that already are in the program. And um, we're always looking for more Community Cats ambassadors. And I wanted to thank everybody who's participated in our webinars. We've had two great webinars, one on Cat Stats and the other one on Grants 101. Keep a lookout for more webinars, um, and I'd also love any feedback on that webinar. And then also be on the lookout in April. We are launching a listener survey, so just be on the lookout for that. We'd love to get more feedback. I'm, I'm at about our year's anniversary. We'll be coming up in June, and as Lisa and I were just talking about in the, the pre-show, we don't like everything to be the same, and we like things changing. And so I'd love to get feedback. and find out what you all would like to see happen with the Community Cat Podcast over uh, the next year. That's great. It's so hard to believe that we're going to come up so soon on the one-year anniversary. And I just uh, so thrilled that that you've got these great growing amounts of downloads because it means we're just hitting more people who are going to be able to do something regardless of their skill or where they are to make the world a better place for cats and kittens. Yep. Yeah. We're at over 8,000 downloads a month now. Amazing. Oh my gosh. Way to go, Stacy. <laughs> well, I, I, I can't thank you enough for um, talking kittens with me and uh, look forward to chatting with you again next month. Thank you so much, Lisa, as always, for uh, being the, the guest host today. Thank you. Are you new to the Community Cats podcast? Don't know what to listen to first? Feel free to check out the Listening Module tab where we have grouped shows together by topic so you can listen to a bunch of shows around the same topic. Just click on the Listening Module tab at www.communitycatspodcast.com and enjoy learning about Community Cats. 